Cyberspace. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the good trash genre cast. It's continuing mission to explore strange new movies. To seek out new meaning and new analysis. To boldly go where no podcast has gone. Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of guys gather at a table and we talk about the movies that have no business in a film studies course. We believe the good trash is what makes the movies worth going to. And this week we are looking at some more good trash. Paul W.S. Anderson, vulgar auteur, extraordinaires, uh, event horizon. But before we get into that, we've got to do some introductions. My name is Dalton Stewart, and no, that is not Mouse from the Matrix. I checked. <laughs> My name's Dustin Sells, and don't worry, guys, I designed it. It's safe. I am Arthur Gordon, and this was not Jurassic Park. <laughs> Nor Hellraiser. Several, Nor Alien. Several times, I, I, I just kept saying to myself, welcome to Jurassic Park. <laughs> I kept thinking Smith was uh, the clever girl hunter. Oh, okay. Now, Smith is uh, one of those guys. Yeah, he's, he's, he is. He's been cast in Gotham. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I love Smith though. He does yeah. a lot of voiceover work. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because he does kind of have that clever girl Muldoon kind of look, yeah. and also um, the Jason blonde... Isaacs does too. Yeah. Jason and Isaacs. The blonde girl also has a bit of a Laura Dern going yeah. on with yeah. her. She, she was a nip tuck. That's so, the only thing I think she's yeah. ever so done. So there is some slightly relatable Jurassic Park. I kept thinking when they saw the big door as they were going in that they might say, "What well, they do to keep King Kong in there?" But they, <laughs> I just kept, I just kept saying, oh, "Missed opportunities with the screenplay." Yeah. I just in the back of my head, I just. Again, Sam Neill. The ship doesn't want to be fed. It wants to hunt. <laughs> Just me? <laughs> well, let's move on, though, and um, give the dear listener an idea of what we're talking about. In case they happen to have missed Event Horizon up until now, all three of us in this room had missed it up until now. And so we were all first-time viewers this past week. That's a rarity. I, I believe Arthur got to see it twice, yes? Yeah, I did. So that's good. I saw the last 20 minutes twice because I fell asleep. I just didn't pay attention the first time. I and uh, I didn't fall asleep because it was bad. I was just very tired. Yeah. That happens sometimes. That's yeah, fair. it occurred. And that's one of the pitfalls of home video entertainment. But let's give the dear listener a synopsis of the film and our quick reviews, and then we'll get into spoiler territory. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. A rescue crew investigates a spaceship that disappeared into a black hole and has now returned with someone or something new on board. Thank you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Again, this is an analysis show, not a review show, but we will give you our quick thumbs up, thumbs down, what works, what doesn't work, and then move on into our analysis. Uh, and then after that, spoilers ahoy. And, Yarg! Uh, so you have been warned. Uh, you should not ever get the spaceship back after seven years in the black hole. That's not a spoiler at all. You just shouldn't do that. And don't feed it after midnight. And, and Correct. <laughs> So, uh, let's talk about this movie and how it works, or does it? Dalton, what say you? It's alright. That's about it. Seriously. It's mm-hmm. okay. It, it's, you know, it's it's a film that suffers from a what I feel like is a fairly common problem, actually, uh, of really any horror film that, that has a, a very central mystery, uh, and that is that once you find out what's going on, it just isn't really all that interesting anymore. Yeah. Um, see also... Well, everything. Um, but in particular, I, I kept thinking of Insidious, which really wants the central mystery of that mm-hmm. is revealed. The last act is kind of weak. Yeah. Um, uh, um, 
Your Next is another recent one that once the central mystery is revealed, it's like, oh, okay. And, you know, it's still interesting. Unlike this, Your Next stays interesting, uh, at least in some regard, um, because the action kind of ratchets up. Once you find out what's going on in Event Horizon, the action ratchets up, but it starts to look a lot worse. This, this film's much more interesting when it's cerebral and a lot less mm-hmm. interesting when it's visceral, I think. Uh, although sometimes those two overlap in a very, very disturbing Venn diagram of hedonism or the lack thereof. I don't even know. I like this movie okay. The cast is really good. The dialogue is garbage. Uh, Larry Fishburne does his best to fish some readable lines out of there, but, you know, he can only do so much. He's only one actor. Sam Neill, I was reminded why he hasn't done anything besides Jurassic Park and The Omen 3. Uh, because he's got a cool voice. It's like that bit in Arrested Development where uh, he doesn't realize that Charlize Theron's character is uh, mentally handicapped because she has an accent. <laughs> You've never told me how many houses there are in the British Parliament. Seven. Are there? The answer is three. That sounds about right. Three is the correct answer. Sam Neill is uh, assumed to be a good actor because he's, he's got, got an accent. his accent gives him gravitas. Yeah. Uh, unlike Patrick Stewart, who has gravitas and is a good actor, he just has gravitas, which does not a good actor make. Yeah. I, I mean, I like Sam Neill okay, but, yeah. you know, he's, he's just not all that. He's not very menacing at all, which uh, really hurts that third act as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. It's fun. It's a, it's a cool mystery. Um, addendum, though, my, my girlfriend watched this with me and she wanted to interject her review, which was, that's really messed up. And that, that was her summation of this film. Word, Catherine. Word. So, eh, that's what I gotta say about this. It's, it's okay. Excellent. Okay, well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Let's say you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. The, uh, the, me- the mediocrity will continue. It, it's, it's fine. It's yeah. fun. I, I enjoy it. It's when people like it. Yeah. The, the set design's good. Oh, yeah, it looks great, I thought. It looks great. Uh, pacing is good. I think it's got a great pace. You know mm-hmm. what? I, I just I just thought of though that opening shot when it starts and it shows the event horizon, the titular event horizon. I was like, oh man, this looks really good. What is it? Ninety seven. Wow, this looks really good. And then they cut to the inside of the ship and you see all the stuff floating. And the you watch go, floating in a bag. Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah. no, nope, never mind. There it, it is. is. There's that ninety six <laughs> There it is. Oh man. Yeah, but the you know it's it's got a lot of cool stuff. But I'm with you, man. Just yeah. Is it? I you know I wouldn't hesitate to watch this again if I was in the mood. You didn't, in fact. I didn't. Um, you know, my biggest criticism, like we've already mentioned, is dialogue. Um, I think we could have gotten a little more in depth with the mythos, and I think Dustin will probably go into this a little bit. I think you know what we have as any sort of backstory to the mystery is just kind of used to kill people off or yeah. make Sam Neill look kind of crazy, weird, spooky by the end of the film. And so there's that. Uh, I like the look, the tone. It has this kind of late seventies, mid eighties kind of horror feel to it, but it has that polish of the nineties. Yeah. The CGI, notwithstanding, right? I kept I kept going back to Alien and Hellraiser while I was watching it. A lot of the design and the the tone, and atmosphere, and so I. I'll go oh yeah, it's, it's got HR Geiger all over it. Yeah, I get a pass. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I, I'm gonna say this movie's good. It's not great. You know, I like it. I don't love it. Is what I'm, you know. So again, it's mediocre, but towards the good end of that. There are there are mediocre films that like I'll never look at again. It's just not worth my time. This movie, like okay, if it was on and people wanted to watch it, I would I'd watch this. Uh, I like what it's doing. I I think there's a great movie buried inside of it because it's really informed. When the blood washes through all of the shining, it's fantastic. It's really cool. When you have the stasis chambers, all the alien, it's really really cool. When you have these crazy scary visions, all the Hellraiser, yeah. Also, 
Very, very interesting. As we've already mentioned set design and how good that all is. I'm totally with you guys. It's, it's outstanding in, in all those categories. But what it fails to do is do anything to really build with it. Mm -hmm. We've got a sci-fi concept of a black hole being built. Obviously, it doesn't take you to, um, you know, uh, whatever it is, Prima Centauri. Uh, it takes you to hell. I, I was going to say it doesn't take you to Cloud Cuckoo Land. No. Because these things never do. No, never do. No. And, and so it does that. It takes you to hell instead. The problem with the movie is that, as, as, as Arthur said, it doesn't actually explore its own mythos. It makes all the references. It keeps up all the pacing that needs to happen uh, in order for it to feel like sort of like an action film more than a, than the horror psycho psychological horror thriller that it is. Well, that's one of my biggest problems with it, is it does feel like a psychological thriller, a psychological horror, until about the third act, and then it kind of devolves into this... I mean, if you'll pardon my language, just really shitty '90s action movie. Mm -hmm. Not and not you know not not a good '90s action movie. Right. There are those, but just one of those like just a Van Damme movie. Like it's just really poorly choreographed fight scenes, and you can tell that you can tell that so much was ex excised from the third act. And you know they've talked. This is pretty common knowledge that there was a lot of gore um, that was taken out. Taken right? out, and yeah. I, I think that actually hurt. Um, the scene, the final showdown. You could there's a lot of really messy cuts that just look bad. They're just like, what? Just why? Why did we move? Where? Where are we? Like you totally lose your 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 spatial relationships of what's going on, yeah. and it's just really poorly ended film. I mean, really badly in my opinion. And that I, that was my beef with it, Dustin. I like the ending. Okay, really? I, I get, yeah, it's okay. It'll work. But the the problem for me really is they they really should have done it where. Uh, the mouse look-alike goes into the porthole a little bit later and um, somebody follows him in to get him out. And you figure out what's going on on that side of the porthole and you explore that world. Uh, one of the big references and connections is the Hellraiser series and there's an extended sequence where you're exposed to these horrible, awful things. And I think they've got the, the visual eye and acuity to come up with some very scary things that, yeah. that, that you know, sort of, you know... Uh, and we see a glimpse of it in the House of Horrors. Vision or something, I think. Yeah. Well, it's the uh, the final log of the ship. Yeah. Right. Is where you get a really clear description of what the stakes are. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, well, you're right. Yeah, he is. There's that... There's Fishburne gets shown. Vision. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. What Everybody's the world... wrapped in barbed wire. Yeah. Tortured. Yeah. But I, I think that sequence should have happened if there was sort of a big supernatural bad, you know, even if it's just an ominous kind of, you know, metal box thing like it is in the Hellraiser film. It's yeah. not Pinhead who rules that world. It's, you know, this Leviathan thing that's really just this kind of oblong, triangular, boxy thing. It, if that sort of Lovecraftian hell had been a little bit more explored... And then they came back, and then action sequences ensue. You have to defeat the evil um, Sam Neill character, mm -hmm. and then you, you know, lock yourselves in your pods and you uh, wait for the cavalry to come back. I think it would have been a much better film because you would have felt like, oh, okay, these are the real stakes of the thing that we're facing. It it it, it, it seems like it's rushed. I think that's a good point. Yeah. Twenty minutes, twenty minutes of that, yeah. and it's it moves from good to great. Not you know yeah. masterpiece category yeah. or anything like that, but it moves to a great movie. I think. Yeah, I, well, I get what you're you're saying in, in that the, the tension gets let out of the balloon a little too early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. So there you go, dear listener. Now you know kind of where we're coming from with the movie. It's watchability, and I think we would all agree it's totally watchable. It's totally worth your time. It is sort of the shining in space. And uh, that's very cool in lots of ways. But 
Let's do what we do, though. Let's do some analysis and talk about what's going on. Let's break it open and look at it. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis bring you, sir? Well, let's take a trip. We're, we're going we're gonna to go back in time here to the mid-90s. Right? Horror had kind of peaked by 91. That's if you're going to count Silence of the Lambs in that horror genre. Some do, some don't. Uh, prior to that, the 70s and 80s were kind of the time the genre had cycled back and was revitalized before once again became bloated with nonsense and garbage. Uh, by, Specifically by the slasher. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by 94, we're seeing the upteenth installments of Children in the Corn and Friday the 13th, mostly films with white leads. In 95, we're getting some more sequels, Halloween 6. For example, we get the alternative Children of the Corn in Village of the Damned. And, uh, we Literally see, the same movie. And then we see Eddie Murphy in Vampire in Brooklyn, and we get the anthology Tales from the Hood. Uh, finally, we, Hey, I mean, don't diss Tales from the Hood, no. Yeah, we got films here with black leads, however, <laughs> marketed to a black demographic. And then comes 96, which features a big win for horror with Wes Craven's Scream, mm-hmm. uh, kind of finally following up with that spiritual, spiritual successor, New Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Right? We have a lot of the same things explored. And we also have Robert Rodriguez's From Dust Till Dawn. However, what we're seeing in the mainline horror is a predominantly white cast, and there may be a female lead, but her sexuality is a large part of her character's identity, and, and ultimately that whole decides her fate. Girl. Yeah, yeah, we get the final girl, or we get the slut shaming, and we have that whole story playing out. And this continues in the 97, which is instantly filled with the Scream sequels and knockoffs. I know what you did last summer happens, and boom, right there. Um, you know, the slash film is revitalized again. We get that cycle back in. And then we have Event Horizon, which makes an appearance in 97, which features a primarily British cast, a black lead, and Larry Fishburne. Sam Neill becomes a, our antagonist, and the rest of the crew kind of play with the tropes of the genre, primarily the characters of Cooper, Stark, and Peters. Typically, the way these types of films play out, we would see Cooper who is filling the role of token black guy in the beginning, be the first to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, for him to survive beyond the initial kill is impressive. However, Cooper survives the entire film. Right. And the first casualty is Smith, a white male. And the second death is a female, but this neither really alters or affects traditional horror tropes, I don't believe. Our third death is again a white male. The fourth is that of Larry Fishburne himself, who makes the sacrificial choice and ultimately raises his character's stake in the yeah, story. If you're trying to shoehorn... Uh, Typical horror genre tropes in this film. Larry Fishburne is the final girl, by all accounts. I mean, he, he's no. the one that must lead them to, to victory. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, not necessarily heard of at this time. Yeah. And yeah. typically, it's Neb Campbell running around trying to save the day. Precisely. The other interesting note uh, with this film is that neither the female supporting characters are overly sexualized. In fact, only one or two instances come to mind, and is within the first ten minutes of the film where Cooper and Stark share some banter back and forth. Cooper makes a uh, great coffee joke. What about you, Stark? Would you like something hot and black inside you? She flips him off, and then he retorts with another line. It's a little witty banter, maybe about the only witty banter in the film. Yeah, <laughs> worth noting. Uh, Stark and Peters are very resourceful characters, though, both of the females. Uh, they both perform well under pressure and aren't relegated to wailing damsel in distress status. And Stark even comes to the captain's aid uh, towards the end of the film. She's she kind of a badass. Yeah, yeah. She, she fights back. Um, and neither are they ever physically sexualized, which is a huge statement. Both females wear baggy space uniforms throughout the film, except for when they are in stasis. And even then, the stasis uniforms are not flattering. Uh, neither characters are played up or exaggerated. And Peter's appearance is actually downplayed from other pictures of her that I've seen, uh, which is quite impressive for the genre, because even looking back at Ellen Ripley, who was running around her spaceship in her panties and bralas. Yeah, her, 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 her stasis outfit is... Uh, it's definitely little, sexualized, yeah. say. Uh, and Cooper himself, he's, he's very resourceful. He nearly single-handedly fixes the Lewis and Clark, you know, with uh, Smith kind of being the whiny damsel in distress by the end of the film. Right. Uh, Just because Aussies are that. 
You know, once Cooper is jettisoned into space, he uses clear level thinking to figure out how to get home. You know, he's like, oh, I can use this and just shoot myself way back home. You know, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't just wander off into space to die like some characters might. And Fishburne's character himself shows coolness under pressure on multiple occasions, most notably when Justin tries to kill himself and in the sacrifice sequence at the end of the film. In fact, it is the white males who become quite whiny and damsel-like in their behavior, uh, with DJ being the possible exception, and that's because... Jason awesome. Isaacs. Jason Isaacs is awesome. So cool. Right? Yes. We so, should say hello to Jason Isaacs. Hello, Jason. And while the film itself, on the whole, is not great, and I think it's a film with a lot of potential, but I think it should get some credit for kind of playing with those race and, and sex norms, gender norms, that are typical in slasher and horror films, especially in that time period. Yeah, you're right, Arthur. And, and that's, that's the apple cart. I, that's a really good point. And we're, you're right, this is a, a time period in which those those 80s uh, horror tropes are really being brought back into full effect. Um, and, and yeah, this is an interesting time for those to be yeah. subverted as heavily as they are. It was just really interesting to me where the, our final shot, we see Cooper, the... the Token black guy, if you will, and, yeah. and Star. Well, who has all the great token black guy lines? Yeah, hell no, and yeah, yeah, right. yeah. This is whack. So just to see that kind of final closing shot of him and the yeah. the other girl who's not a lead, just mm-hmm. kind of tying yeah. that out is interesting note to end on. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I approve of that. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. That's great. I like that analysis a lot, Mister Arthur Gordon, Mister Dalton Stewart. What bring you, sir? Well, obviously, this is a, a film that exists within a very specific genre of. Of science fiction, that being the uh, technological uh, warning story, the you you tempted nature where ye should not have kind of thing, uh, which we see Jurassic Park being a really great example of that. Uh, some other ones that might come up later. Come to Life mind. finds a way. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, Jeff Goldblum. The history of evolution has taught us that life will not be contained. Life breaks free, it expands to new territories, and it crashes through barriers painfully, maybe even dangerously, but, uh, well, there it is. So I really wanted to talk uh, here a little bit about um, why technology functions in society the way it does, how it functions in uh, society the way it does. Uh, and I looked to a, a really famous sociologist by the name of Thorstein Veblen. He's not one of you know the big names, but he, he he's a, one of the more uh, well remembered guys from uh, you know about the same time Karl Marx and uh, guys like that were writing. Uh, he was really heavily influenced by Karl Marx, and um, so Veblen is really looking at technology from a, an industrial uh, an industrial um, lens. I guess you could say he, he's writing during the time of the Industrial Revolution. So he's looking at technology, you know, from that time period. He's really looking at, at how that and economics kind of intertwine. But I think it, it plays here, if you'll, if you'll bear with me. Uh, basically what Babelin says is there's kind of this cycle uh, through which um, technology happens. And basically as humanity gets uh, enough food to not be worried about dying all the time, you know, once we kind of get out of that hunter-gatherer lifestyle starts to get into kind of late agrarian eras, basically get bored. Uh, And that idle curiosity, as he calls it, leads to technological change, which leads to an evolution in human culture. Um, And that's something I find interesting, is basically it's this endless loop where we just keep getting bored and keep pushing technology. And where he says economics comes into that, is it's always sound business, as a direct quote from him, it's always sound business to take any net gain at any cost or risk to the community. And I really feel like that plays very heavily into Event Horizon and really a lot of these uh, 
you know, technological horror stories that we get in science fiction so frequently is this idea that, you know, Wayland yutani doesn't care about the space truckers they're sending out there. It's all about the net gain they can get for mm. the company. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, again, this you can see where he's influenced by Marx and that basically the people who have the money control the technology and technology just keeps moving forward because, well, we're bored. We don't have anything else to do. Uh, we're not hungry anymore, so I guess we'll keep building crap. Um, and, you know, the money says, yeah, keep doing that, because it's not really so much concerned about what the end of that technology is. Um, it's about the increase of capital. Exactly. And for him, it's specifically about the increase of capital, uh, because he argues that that cost to the community is basically, it, it kind of makes us all a bunch of jerk bags. We end up with, an, you know, really just an exuberant amount of disposable income. And at least what he calls a leisure class. So he's writing from from more uh, a much more practical standpoint of you know the dangers of technology, and basically it makes us complacent and letting other people suffer bad things. Here it's you know more we send ships into hell, but you know mm-hmm. swap out a couple of uh, integers and uh, variables, and it's basically the same problem. And that was something I thought a lot about while I was watching Event Horizon was this idea that. We keep pushing the bounds of technology to to what end? Which doesn't say technological uh, advancement is bad at all. Actually, I think it's quite a good thing. It's just uh, it's important to remember that the values of society uh, and technology uh, are really intertwined and constantly mm-hmm. interacting and, and changing how we interact with one another and how really society as a whole functions uh, and what it values. Uh, and as Vaveland would point out, it's at the end of the day going to be capital, which is usually not a good thing when it comes to human interest. Well, it's clearly the exploitation of the crew of Lewis and Clark. They're on leave. Yeah. Right? They're getting pulled out of their leave and mm-hmm. getting sent to this super, super dangerous situation. Precisely. And uh, so, uh, yeah, there's definitely the um, the alienated worker, I think, is, is definitely part of what's going on in that. So, very well done, sir. Appreciate that. Thank you. Dustin, uh, what, do, what do you think about this film? Well, you know, it's interesting that you talked about societal fears from the left. I'm going to talk about societal fears from the right. Um, in, in engaging this, it, it, one of the things about horror in general as a genre, and I, I would say, I mean, that obviously it's a science fiction film, but it definitely has the black beating heart of a horror film, for sure, you and, know, and wrapped as, in barbed wire in its chest cavity. And, right? as, and as Dustin has mentioned on this show before, horror is the most conservative genre. Absolutely is, absolutely is, and uh, the one of the great fears, uh, especially in science fiction style horror is the fear of discovery. It just flat, flat out that if you delve too deeply, you will find things there that you don't want. In fact, it can eke its way into a uh, fantasy genre. Uh, the reference I just made to just now about delving too deeply, that's what the dwarves do in Moria, right? And they unleash Balrogs, and, uh, which are these terrible, awful, you know, Cthulhu-like beasts from below, right? And... Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, contemporaneous uh, with uh, the writers you've mentioned so far, Dalton, mm-hmm. uh, is doing a very similar thing at the age of the Industrial Revolution, yeah. these advances. And what we're going to do is we're going to create something we shouldn't do. We're going to do something that's not for us to do. We're going to commit the Promethean sin, and we're going to bring the fire of the gods down, and we're going to ex- exercise too much hubris. And in so doing, we're going to bring about our own destruction. Well, I mean, there's a, a reason you see all these smart people basically writing about the same thing, just from these different points of view at this time. It's, you know, pretty much a bigger deal than, you know, smartphone. I mean, it's the, the biggest jump forward in technology since, until the internet, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. People go from 
pooping into buckets uh, and, you know, staying awake only as long as the sun was out to, you know, skies clogged with smog. Right. It, almost overnight. I mean, really in a very short amount of time in the, in the sense of human history. And so the science here is, again, very fearful of that, thinking that these advances themselves, they, they're, they're a mistake, that we're, we're somehow unworthy of making these steps. And, and we do the Jurassic Park question, right? These great scientists standing on the shoulders of geniuses, never earning any of the knowledge that they now have, they ask the question only if they could, but they never ask the question if they should. Which, of course, is an important question in bioethics and all of that. I'm not really trying to get into that, but the, the Frankensteinian situation, the two 2001 HAL situation, the Matrix situation, all of those sort of horror elements that are part of these science fiction stories are tied up in the idea that we should not be doing this. We should be afraid of our technology. We should be cautious. And every time somebody does something new, the first reaction is not to be, great, this is fantastic, it'll make society move forward. The first thought is, what could it do bad to us? How could it destroy us all? It's pessimism rather than optimism. Again, it, it's, it's, it's a criticism like you made from the left yeah. as far as what happens well, with workers. This yeah. is criticism from the right that human nature being broken or whatever, there's yeah. a problem. It is interesting how closely we ended up matching up. I, I, I'm amused here. You mean, so, let, let me understand this because I don't you know. Maybe it's me. I'm a little fucked up maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? Because, yeah, it's, it's the exact same... It's not even a fear. It, it, it's um, basically the opposite of a... a it's, it's more of a... Dull, well, a dollar sign here. I gleam in your twinkle in your eyes. It's less, what what terror could this rot? It's... Uh, How much money could this make? What dollars could this rot? Exactly. Yeah, it's the exact opposite. Uh, it's, you know... It's a fear of what people will do with it versus yours, which is a, a fear of... What, what it, we might unleash. Ish, exactly. What is wrong with this in and of itself? And, and horror frequently goes down that line. Horror frequently takes that very, very conservative stance. And so the question is, oh, no, you know, light space travel, you know, mm-hmm. or light speed, faster than light travel, where we're bending space. What? Well, if we do that, of course, what's going to happen is we're going to unleash terrible monsters and they're going to destroy us all. Uh, uh, what are we going to do if we actually develop robot technology in such a way that it's sentient and it's able to do more of what we need to do for it and help us do things? Well, obviously, David's going to kill us all, or they're going to turn us into batteries, or whatever it is, right? That, that, that's, that's the great fear that we have of the sciences that's being expressed in this sort of horror. And uh, I, I, I really want Shelley to die, is really what I want. I love Frankenstein. He's a good book. But I, I'm really, I really want Mary Shelley to die in the horror conversation because technology's been good for us. It, 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 technology is probably was going to save our civilization eventually. It, it, it's probably the only way that human beings are, able, are ever going to be able to coexist peacefully on this planet. It's going to require technological advancement for that to happen. And what I want to see happening right now in science fiction, and we'll move away from horror discussion to science fiction discussion, is I want to see conversations about how this is fantastic for us. Uh, Kubrick uh, was working on AI when he died. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, one of the one of the um, kind of anecdotes about it is that you know he he created that fear of technology in well not created but he spoke re, re, repeated that fear in two thousand one and he wanted to undo Mary Shelley and two thousand one with AI which may or may not have been successful in the end after Spielberg took over but the point being 
I would like to see those stories being told because I, I am a little tired of this, you know, this standard, oh, we came up with something, therefore we're all going to die. I'd say that's fair. And I think, you know, not just because it supports what I said, uh, but I think you're right because the more important conversation is not how is this technology bad for us, it is how are we going to pervert this technology and do bad stuff to other people and we should probably look out for that. Correct. Which I, is absolutely a real fear. There's absolutely, yeah. there's absolutely a place for caution. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely a place for thinking, hey, you know, we have this great technology where we can create uh, these remote control devices that can do what we want to do from a great distance. That is fantastic. We can turn them into missiles that are blowing up people in their homes, which would be an awful thing if that were happening anywhere in the world today. Topical! Moving on. The, so you can obviously misuse those technologies. Yeah. But it's not because it's bad that we're able to do that. It's, again, that we need to, again, have the conversation. How can we use them well and better and rightly? Yeah, and I, I just I wish we had more of those movies. And that's what I kept thinking about as I watched this movie. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for all of that. We're going to move on now to our, uh, our last and final verdict uh, shell for trash, else or instead. Let's just start with Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you, sir? You know, I thought about just going ahead and saying stream it. Um, but I, I am going to go ahead and take the leap and say it's trash. I've seen a lot of these movies recently where it's, as I'm watching, I think to myself, well, it'd be a lot better if it was worse. You know what I mean? You know, go full camp or go home. Um, and, and this is kind of one of those films, I feel like if it had sustained the energy of the, the first, the, the tension and the energy of the first and a half act, I'd say this would probably be definitely shelfable. Uh, as it stands, I just don't think it's there's really enough here to, to bother. And, and again, if it was worse, I'd say it, it would be more interesting and, and worth keeping around. But as it stands, it is just kind of a, a, a really mediocre film with some interesting ideas, but nothing that you haven't seen done better elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to offer one else, because I think it's a film that pairs nicely with this in terms of quality. Uh, and production design, and, and that is Lost in Space, the adaptation of the uh, 50s and 60s television <laughs> show, nice. which is an, another really kind of crappy late 90s sci-fi film that has really awesome production design and, and a really great yeah. cast and is an overwhelmingly not good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, go for that. If anything, it's got yet another wacky Gary Oldman performance and who, who can't... There aren't enough of those. There's, God, there's, there's just so many of them. Love them. Love them to pieces. Else, or rather instead of Event Horizon, though, I would obviously recommend Aliens because, duh, I mean, it's all over this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also recommend um, another kind of technology, a tech horror film, uh, Splice, which is, is really uh, directly referencing Frankenstein um, in a lot of places, and it's also directly referencing Freud in some very horrifying places. Um, <laughs> but Splice, I think, is a really underrated film. I, I like it a great, great deal. I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, as far as horror films go, I think it's one of the the, the better sci-fi horror films that exist. Um, I just it's got that same feeling as the original Alien, where it's really about seventy minutes of oh my god, something bad is going to happen any second, and then you just like are gripping your chair because you know something bad is going to happen, and then nothing happens, and then finally something horrifying happens. And, and I, I just I love Splice a lot. I would also recommend Moon because I think that's a a much more another kind of psychologically um, probing and ponderous uh, science fiction film that's obviously not really a horror film at all um, but it does have some interesting things going on there and finally I would recommend that one episode of South that one Christmas episode of South Park 
where they have the woodland creatures that try to summon the Antichrist, because it's clearly referencing some of the scenes of this film. Nice. <laughs> Icky. Um, yeah, that's what I got for you. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Shelf or trash else or instead? Well, oddly enough, it's on the shelf. It's it. I, I happened across it for cheap on Blu-ray. It was in my wheelhouse. On Blu-ray. You know, everything fit. I like the premise. Yeah. I like the cast. I like the look. It seemed interesting. Do you and regret so, putting it on your shelf? I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't re- recommend rushing out to buy it. I'd say stream it probably more than anything. If you've seen the horror films and you're looking for something to watch, check it out. Just, but like Dalton said, it doesn't really do anything new. Um, you know, else or instead, I'd say Danny Boyle's Sunshine Ooh, goes well great. here. A lot of the same kind of supernatural horror aspects are there. Uh, Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. That I, I felt that some. Hellraiser, obviously, we talked about it a lot. I'd say watch Hellraiser. Uh, Gravity, just Gravity's a very scary film, just more from a realism type of mm-hmm. aspect of it. And you get to see, see zero gravity fire. Yeah, so. It's talked a lot about in this movie. <laughs> right. And then uh, and then finally, Alien. I think you watch Alien. Obviously. Or Aliens. It, it's all of them, any of them. Yeah. This one, I don't care. Yeah. But yeah. All right, good deal. Good deal. Well, I'm going to probably go along with you guys and say it's not really shelfable. It's not. It, it, it's a disposable film. I mean, I like it. If I, well, if I found it cheap on Blu-ray, or on DVD for that matter, I'd probably pick it up. It's not even that I hate it, I just think it's disposable in its mediocrity. Yeah, that makes that's sense. fair. Much like a lot of Paul W.S. Anderson's movies. Oh, I think it's the best one of his movies I've ever seen. Uh, it's definitely not better than Mortal Kombat. But, moving on, I, I, I'm going to go with You're not wonderfully so much. bad. Sorry, go ahead. I think you should watch the movies that it's cribbing. I think you should watch The Shining. I think yeah, you should yeah. absolutely watch Alien. I think you should absolutely watch Hellraiser 2. Uh, because there is more of that exploring what goes through the portal sort of thing. And pretty much you get all of Hellraiser 1 and Hellraiser 2 anyway. Uh, it is also a movie that's sort of a mess, um, scripting-wise, but it's very well produced and very well designed. And the mythology is what remains interesting, because there was a Hellraiser 3 made. That's how interesting it was, and that's how much money it went ahead and returned on, as opposed to Event Horizon 2, which doesn't exist. And again, relates to part of the problem with these types of movies. Because this is the type of movie, if it's good, it makes a sequel. I mean, if it makes any money, if anybody's interested in seeing it. And that's part of the problem with it, is that it's obviously a one-off because no one wants to do this again. Yeah. You know, now, that's what I'm saying for late 90s science fiction. That may not be the case no. in the 70s or now. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So, that's my verdict as well, gentlemen. I'm so glad to hear yours and your recommendations. Dear listener, you may have some homework. Uh, let's move on, though, and play our game, because you know it's time for the game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> Alright, so this week's game is brought to you by the logline for Event Horizon, which was pitched as The Shining in Space. And that's really what this game's going to be, am I right? We're going to we're going to do our sci-fi mashup. We're going to we're going to pitch. You're going to pitch me the story. You're going to we're going to well, pitch oh. me and I'll pitch you and you're going to be the producers and I'm going to smoke my big cigar and I'm going to and I'll I'm going to I'm going to twist my diamond cufflinks and so I, you got moxie kid. <laughs> you got moxie kid. You're a mensch. You're a mensch, Gordon. We'll keep uh we're going to the kid stays in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going to pitch our idea of what a this in that sort of sci-fi mashup in space would be. I be fun. I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say? All right. I don't really have a good pitch or logline for you, so I'll just give you what I've got here. I'd like to see, picture this, 
Cabin in the Woods in Space. Go with Joss on. And Goddard. And they just, I don't know how they do it, but they do it. It's a horror, yeah. It's just the two of them make a horror comedy in yeah. space. What would you they do? They satirize Alien, they'll satirize this, they'll satirize all these horror space films and play with it. And, would you, know. you do this sort of Star Trek thing and create each race of being to be the stereotypes, to be the archetypes, to be sacrificed? I think, you, well, you might have that kind of, what, pick your, pick your own adventure thing, or like, we could go to this black hole where there's a planet here where we land and there's creatures to kill. You know what I mean? I think you could play with that. I think it'd be fun. You know, maybe something gets on board, they pick up a package, or they dock on a ship or something. I think it'd be fun. Well, it definitely needs to be like an alien versus predator component, or it's just not worth doing, right? I kept, man, I kept every time there was a really cool production shot of a suit or like a, a bulkhead watching this, I was like, man, I wish they'd made a good alien versus predator movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. So that, that's my first one, and I think it'd just be fun because Cabin in the Woods is great. I'm in. Uh, my next one is going to play off Moon. I like Moon a lot. Good it's a movie. great psychological film. It's a great, uh, it's just a great story, I think. But I think I would like to see the moon and the shining have a baby. Okay. So there's a lot more of the supernatural and some ghost stuff happening in there, and he's seeing a lot of weird crap. The guy left alone. Well, yeah, he just kind of goes. Is he crazy or is it haunted? Yeah, yeah I like it. I, like I it. think that would be a lot of fun. I keep saying Rockwell because he's amazing, and Kevin Spacey because he's amazing, and so it would be it would be a fun movie to watch. I think. Mm-hmm. And there'd be a little space butler who would come in and telling things and in the middle of the night. To make it really weird. Finally, because I mentioned it off air in our text conversation when I was trying to figure out this game, I want to see a Jurassic Park Treasure Planet mashup because dinosaurs. Okay, I, I'm yeah, I, I'm sold Di- because dinosaurs. Space dinosaurs. Space dinosaurs. Space dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, space dinosaurs. I'm totally in. Space Rex. Let's go. I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's, yeah. yeah. Those are my, that's those are my the correct answer. Those are my, yeah. <laughs> I like that very much. Yes. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, sell me a movie. Platoon in space. Yeah, I mean, Starship Troopers? No, it's not Grimmin. <laughs> no, no, no. Starship Troopers is a satire. It's a real, the Starship Troopers is a fun movie. Yeah, it is. I want a grim, just like bleak, like really kind of mis- We're all gonna die. miserable war as hell film. That's how Predator should have been. Yeah. I like Predators I, I a lot more than most people. I, I thought it was you know, solid, but I think you could play with that. I think that it's the there. best. It's probably easily up there with the first Predator. I mean, it's d- leagues ahead of Predator 2 in both the Alien vs. Predator movies. So, yeah, no, I, I think, and we get some of that in Predators. Is yeah. That just grim, gritty, tough guys doing tough guy shit, getting killed by tougher things. And we get Larry Fishburne. You can't go wrong, man. He's the best. <laughs> but yeah, I, I want to see that, that bleak space marine movie. I, I don't want it to be an endorsement of fascism like the novel, Starship Troopers, but uh, I want that. I need it. I think it would be cool. Who would direct it? it? Who would direct it? I mean, you would, obviously. You're pitching it right now. I wouldn't direct it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I do a film podcast. I'm not going to be a filmmaker. Hey, guess what? If you're doing a film podcast, you're not going to be a filmmaker. I got bad news for you, kid. <laughs> probably true. Sorry. Unless your name happens to be Kevin Smith. Yeah, we well, if, unless you're no. a filmmaker already and then yeah. you decide to do one. We just do this because we think it's fun. Um, who directed? That's a good question. I don't know. Come back to me on that one. Okay. I, I, I want to say Spielberg, but not Spielberg. Somebody in that vein. I need, I need somebody younger. Somebody with more pep. But somebody who can give me that, that wonder of science fiction, but also that bleakness. J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, secondly, I want to see Mad Max in space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of basically think of it as a, a live action um, Titan A.E. Yeah. Okay. Which is a really underrated gem, I think. I, I just would like more things like that. 
I, I want to see that. You know, people riding around on space bikes doing spacey stuff. You know, what is it about the the crumbling of society that makes everybody really like punk fashion? What's that about? I don't, I don't know. know. Just you know, yeah, you run out of gasoline, you throw on some leather. I don't get it. It's awesome. Uh, I want to see the thing in space, and that's really. I mean, I need that. It's ba- which is aliens. I got it. You know, kind of. There's a little bit of that. I want the body horror. I want the space. I want the claustrophobia. I want the the mistrust. I want the the cool stuff. I I want it. it. Just give me the things I like and put them together because those are cool things to do. Uh, finally, I want the departed. In space. <laughs> because The Departed. <laughs> and really, I could have said any cop movie because I want space cops. I want to see a really space cool... Cops. I want to see a cool space cops movie. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's The Departed. I don't care if it's Bad Lieutenant. Ooh, Bad Lieutenant in space would be sweet. Um, I just... I like space, guys. I like sci-fi. Get, I want them all. Give me the space stuff. Give me the space stuff. All right. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Wait, I, like I got one more. Oh, let's hear it. Underworld. In space, which basically would just be... Space werewolves. Give me a good Alien vs. Predator movie already. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the people thing. demand it. It's the same. How do, you, how do you get it wrong? How do you get it wrong? Dustin, what are your picks for this weird mashup? Give well, me the pitch. The first one I would do is this. I, I think there's a great um, desire to see mystery stories, those sort of you know thrillers where yeah. there's crime solving. Mm-hmm. And... We have yet to really see Sherlock Holmes in space. Yeah, I'm down. And I mean, a la Cumberbatch, sort yeah. of Holmesian sort of thing. I'm sold. There and was a children's television series when I was uh, a lad called uh, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd Century. What? It was sweet. I bet it was. That sounds awesome. And, you know, Watson could be like a robot. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could happen. Basically the Grace Mount, Great Mouse Detective, but, you know, with cyborgs instead of mice. Yes, and I, I think it would be so much fun. You know, interplanetary sort of things that are working out as far as the politics. And so you have, you can create a, I mean, you can create a franchise with this. With this sort of geopolitics that, that they play with in the Sherlock Holmes series. Uh, the same sort of thing intergalactically. The Space Hounds of Baskerville 9. Yes. <laughs> okay. I like it. So I, I would like to see that. I think it'd be a lot of fun. And I, I think it's franchisable. And uh, I think you could sell it, put it on a lunchbox and McDonald's toys, and we'll make you tons of money, um, Mr. Mayor. So what do you say? That would be my first pitch. My second pitch would be let's do something on the thoughtful artistic side in science fiction because we want to make a summer blockbuster anyway of it. Mm-hmm. So let's do the devil's backbone on the moon. And cool. that there's an orphanage in that very, very bleak place on the moon. There has been this massive civil war. We can have future fascists and future fascism. Space and Nazis. Space Nazis are always fun. But it's it, it's basically contained with humans. We can maybe have uh, some remains of some alien species that maybe we have discovered at some point. When we have the creepy things in jars bit that happens with the people with the... Uh, Spina bifida that we see in the uh, in the movie, but that sort of imagery, that sort of uh, again Lovecraftian, what have you, and it's an orphanage, but it's mo- it's about kids. It's about these kids in this impossible situation, in this impossible environment, with proto-fascist, you know, sort of people like Jacinto, and they have to overcome those odds and get back to Earth. I think it'd be awesome. Hitler space youth <laughs> was well, anti-Hitler space youth, but. Yeah, sorry. So, well, no, no, that's Jacinto. Jacinto, yeah, he would yeah. be. He would definitely be the Hitler, Hitler space youth. He totally would be, hmm. and uh, I think he'd totally be doable and I'm in. be lots of fun. So those are my two recommendations. I mean, I guess you could do Pan's Labyrinth in space, but then it just gets to be a lot. 
All right, gentlemen, well, thank you so much for that game. Um, that's some good times. Let's see what the dear listener might suggest via the various means of social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about that? I do. Uh, first and foremost, you can email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast. we got a couple things coming in this week on the Facebook. Uh, Ashley Rains, former co-host in our earlier days, uh, she says she was not a fan of the Boondock Saints. It never really took off for her. I think that's fair. She's correct. She's uh, not wrong. Brigham asked, and Dustin responded on Facebook, but he asked about our personal experiences with Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thousand Faces. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, do you have any? I took a mythology class in college. That was it? That was it. I mean, I've, yeah, I just, I've heard about it. I've yeah. seen some brief, some short documentaries yeah. about him and about his work. I mean, it's a good book. It's basically about how all the myths are put together. The yeah, basic, no, it's about, the, standard, yeah. the standard form. Um, that, yes, so, yeah, I, with, with Brigham, I'd recommend it. I think Joseph Campbell's Power of Myth interviews with Bill Moyers is better mm-hmm. uh, as far as getting inside the, the nuts and bolts of what's going on That's, and that sort of um, um, monomyth sort of thing that he's Is that what I was together. thinking of? That's what I've seen. Power of Myth. Power of Thank Myth, you. yes. I've seen parts of that. That is really cool. Yeah, and I think it's, it's probably the superior. If you're going to buy one or the other, buy that one. Yeah. And uh, the other one you can pick up just by reading a Wikipedia article, I think. Yeah. That's, so when you do research, you can just there's the twelve steps. That's all you really need to know. Right, about right. This so. there's the call and the rejection, yeah. and then the wizard, and then yeah. Yeah, it happens. Um, Caleb, our former co-host, Caleb. Uh, what do you want? The first thing he says is that since he's been he's gone out of his way to hide. Since you've been gone. Since he's gone out of his way to hype Clone Wars, uh, he said he should probably highlight the best episodes based on Dustin and Dalton's disdain for the opening season, which he notes is very hit and miss. Uh, The overall quality and sophistication improves throughout the course of the show, and sadly, there's no way to get rid of the cheesy narration. Thanks a lot, George. Mm -hmm. And Caleb has thus provided a list of his, I guess, top episodes from the show on our Facebook, if you're interested in checking that out. Give me a couple of them. I don't have them with me. He also chimed in with our Hitman game from last week, Vigilante's Hitman. Uh, Boba Fett, top of the list. Oh, good Good pick. He says uh, Timothy Oliphant. As the titular Hitman. Oh, okay. Yeah. As the Hitman. That's a really good, bad movie. Mm. Um, He mentions Anton Chigurh, Deadshot. Oh, yeah. And I can't pronounce this, but I'm sure my associate here can. Uh, Jacques and Hagar from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Hey, good pick, Caleb. So there you go. This uh, I was gonna do a quote, but his his speech it's it's almost it's Yoda esque. Mm. It's it's but harder. It's kind of harder to get his cadence down. But yeah, he he has cool talks. Nice. All right, that's what I've got coming from the Facebook. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Dalton, do you know anything about any other means of social media that are available? Well, Dustin, I wasn't gonna tell you this. I've, I've been listening to some of our old episodes, and I think I made a mistake in the translation. I, I thought one of our old episodes, specifically our episode of our Hellraiser, Dustin, I thought Arthur said, 
Liberate May. Save me. Uh, but it's not May, it's Liberate. Tuta May. Save yourself. And it gets worse. There, you hear that? I, I think Arthur said Ex Infernus. Save yourself. From Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the good trash genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. And unfortunately, we have no feedback this week. Well, it's because we did Boondock Saints. Well, uh, in fairness, the Celtic Knights are now following us on Twitter, uh, the comic book that Dustin referenced last week, uh, as is a, a very popular popular local Sam comedian by the name of Zach Smith. Thank you, Zach. Um, and we got, you know, tweets and retweets to the links for the show. Good underscore trash is where we can be found on the Twitters. All right, gentlemen, let's do what we always do to wrap this show up. Let's talk about what's got us fired up this week in popular culture. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up? You know what? I, I am a bit fired up. Uh, we just mentioned Game of Thrones uh, as, you know, kind of gets mentioned on the show from time to time, I'd say. Less so with Caleb gone, but yes. Yes, uh, there's no one to bounce it off of with me anymore. Uh, but Game of Thrones comes back this Sunday. I'm quite excited about it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but also, after that, is the series premiere of a new HBO show from Mike Judge, uh, the creator of Office Space, a show we've done, a, a movie we've done a, an episode over, called Silicon Valley, uh, about you know, a tech startup. It's going to be funny, it's got a bunch of comedians I really like in it, and I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, also, this week, something that I'm excited about in my week in pop culture is I get to go to a free Slay Bells show. So yeah, really excited about that. Uh, I'm greatly looking forward to it. They're, they're going to be here in Norman uh, this weekend. Um, something I'm, I'm really fired up about. Uh, finally, I actually am fired up about Noah. I really, I like Darren Aronofsky quite a bit. There, this seems to be a very divisive film. I'm not talking about the dum-dums who've gone to see it. I'm talking about you know people who actually get paid to ponder mo- movies and whether or not they, they mean anything. Um, it's been quite divisive in, in the critical and analytical community. Um... But I, I still want to check it out. I'm interested. I like Aronofsky. I, I've never hated a film of his. I haven't seen Pi, full disclosure. But um, I, I like The Fountain, and that's his most divisive film right there. So I want to check it out. Sounds good. Thanks for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I, I also want to see Noah. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? I would also like to see Noah. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle trailer dropped this past week, and despite all of my spidey senses tingling... I am doing flips and somersaults inside because I love those green guys so much. Yeah, you know, um, my spidey senses were definitely tingling, and um, they still continue to tingle, but with uh, much less tingling. Uh, The next thing, some friends and I are getting together, and we're going to do the same. We're calling the Cinema Passport, where we're each... I'm sorry, the what? Cinema Passport. Okay. We're being nerdy, and we've each picked five films that we want the four of us to watch. Oh, so, I've done something like this with friends before. So that like, sounds like fun. My five films were Doctor Strangelove, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, Rashomon, uh, Rules of the Game, and I can't remember the fifth one. Regardless, so we'll plan to have like a double date. We'll cook dinner and uh, watch these movies and 
then talk about them just so we can, you know, broaden our cinematic horizons because there are lots of movies and any motivation to watch more movies is fine by me. So I'll take that. So that should mm-hmm. be fun. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Me and my wife have been watching this yeah. on Hulu. It's a blast. I like it's it a lot. Fun. Uh, Andre Bauer is so phenomenal. Funny. Andy Samberg is is great. Uh, I can't think of his name. He plays uh, Boyle. Yeah, from uh, he's in the guy that was in the state. He's, yeah, he's John Trulio. John Trulio. He's he's in the, he's Terry Crews. Freaking Terry Crews is hilarious. Oh god, always wonderful. It's a it's a great yeah, show. Yeah, Trulio. Chelsea Peretti in that show. Oh my god, oh, yeah. she kills me. Their wolf blanket. Oh god, it's great. Oh, it makes me very happy. Um. This weekend, Captain America opens. It does. It is getting great reviews so far. It seems to be doing really well. Yeah. It's open to $75 million in Europe. So wow. It really? Is, it looks to be... It's a huge... Yeah. Overseas. That's huge to start. Wow. And Just in Europe. Yeah. Wow. And so I am highly anticipating this film. I, I am looking forward to this probably... I, I think... I mean, between this and Guardians of the Galaxy, this is the most excited I've been about Marvel films in a very long time. And that's that's what I'm fired up about this week. Well, Arthur, I'm going to go ahead and take that opportunity to, to tag one on uh, with you, because I thought uh, I was going to have time to do this next week, but it turns out by the time next week's episode airs, we'll be in the middle of this thing that I'm fired up about. Okay. So every year, the Oklahoma City Museum of Art um, has uh, something that's presented by the Oklahoma... It's a, a, a film festival, mini festival marathon type mm-hmm. deal. Uh, put on by the Oklahoma Film Preservation Society, uh, in which they show a bunch of classic films on 35mm. Uh, usually there's a theme. Two years ago it was film noirs. Last year it was Universal Monster Movies. This year there's not really much of a theme. No, not a theme at all. But the, there's a couple films that I'm really excited And more films than they normally do. Actually, no. Less films than they normally do, but a couple of really long films. Yeah. So I think they're doing multiple showings uh, a night instead of just okay. doing... I think that might be why there's less okay. films this year. Uh, but this year we're going to get the lady from Shanghai, Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the Tong Bomb, uh, Shampoo, The Bridge on the River Kwai, and finally, the Piece de la Resistance, Lawrence of Arabia, in three, it's three and a half hour cinematic 35mm glory. Let's be real, I don't really care about the lady from Shanghai or Shampoo. Rita Hayworth! Yeah, I, Orson Welles! I don't care. You should. I'm less excited about those than, uh, than three particular ones. Because those are some films I've been meaning to see for a while. And I feel like what better uh, time know. to see them than in 35mm. I think that's probably the best way to see them. Right? Uh, particularly Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. I mean, it's the only way that could be better is if it was in 70mm. Right. Yeah. But come on. So that's... I, I just want to tag it on to Arthur because I realized... I'm glad you mentioned it. I, I was thinking about it earlier. I was wondering when I was going to do it for the next episode, but then I remembered, oh, that one will drop in the middle of it because that festival, ladies and gentlemen, will start on Tuesday, April the 8th, and run through Sunday, April the 12th. So okay. be excited about that. Yeah. Dustin Sells, what on earth could you possibly be fired up about this week in popular culture? Well, that was one of my two things. Oh. I'll say the other one now. My bad. <laughs> It's all right. <laughs> Sorry, I was afraid you weren't going to say it. Thanks for the addendum. Well, what are you uh, excited about for, in particular for that festival? Well, I want to see the lady from Shanghai on on, on thirty five mil. I mean, that's that's really what I want to see. There you go. Because Rita Hayworth, the man has a wheelhouse, <laughs> and it's still more, yeah. and I like it. So I'm very excited. Bridge on the River Kwai is a great movie, but I mean, I really don't know that I want to see it again. Yeah, you know, I've never seen it. So I mean, it's good, but yeah. I mean, nah. you know, Allegheny's yay, yeah. but I want to see Obi Wan Kenobi. Fight the Japanese, but you was, not you know, really. Not really. He's gonna build a bridge. 
Yeah, I know. He's going to build a bridge Wait. that stands for fighting them. He's... Sort of. Do you think he means old Ben Kenobi? <laughs> Very well played, sir. Uh, the other thing I'm fired up about is uh, frequent uh, listener, sometimes uh, occasional contributor, uh, one-time guest host Phil Harvey sent me a link to a little podcast called Welcome to Night Vale. I can't believe you're just finding out about this. And <laughs> speaking of wheelhouses, Lovecraft, Twin Peaks, uh, Camp Wobegon, uh, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in all kinds. What the, the premise is... Dear listener, is that it is a radio, community radio program giving announcements for this community called Night Vale somewhere in the desert. And it's as if all of the conspiracy theories were true and centered in this little small town. And also, Cthulhu is real. And the yes. all Lovecrafty mythos is real. And the moon landing was faked. And JFK and Fidel Castro play ping pong together. Yeah, it's... It's bonkers and funny and silly and kind of spooky sometimes. And yeah, it's really pretty good. It is the best thing ever. They gave me the willies once or twice. Listen to it. I am working my way through. I've wasted way too much time with it already. But it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Apparently there was a live show they did here here in Oklahoma City on the 15th of March. And I found it, of course, this last week. So missed that. But I have friends that went, yeah. If they come back, I'm going, because wowzers. I love it. It is great. And dear listener, you should be listening and paying attention to that now. Because it's just so good. So that's got me fired up uh, this week in pop culture. Uh, I'm very, very excited just to be having this conversation with you all here. And I want to keep the conversation going with you, dear listeners, at home or in your car or on your jog or walking your dog or whatever it is that you happen to do while you listen to the dulcet tones of our voices. Uh, But we want to keep this conversation going until next time. But before that, we need to tell you what what you need to see next, which is Mel Brooks's... Spaceballs. That's right, we boldly continue into comedy. Yes, it's going to be a space marathon all this month, and it will be Spaceballs next time, so good times will be had by all. We're very excited about that. We also want to keep the conversation going with you guys individually, with our personal uh, Twitter and or other various social media accounts. Uh, Where are you found, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at RNDTBLReview. You can also find me on Letterboxd, K-A underscore Excalibur. Very good, sir. Where are you, Mr. Dahl Stewart? I can be found on Twitter uh, at Dahl underscore Stew, and you can also find me on Letterboxd uh, where I am uh, Dalton underscore Stewart, I believe. I don't know. Maybe Dalton just, maybe just Dalton Stewart? No. I don't know. You follow me. You should know. I don't, I don't pay attention either. I can be found at Twitter at Dustin underscore Cells, S-E-L-L-S. I can also be found on Tumblr at iPro... Well, not at. It's going to be iprotein.tumblr.com. And would love to keep the conversation going with you. I'm also there on Letterboxd. Search my name. You'll find me. Um, it's the one that looks like me. And uh, it's radio, so you don't know. But yes, I'm the handsome one. Always the handsome one. <laughs> but we move on until next time. And we look forward to talking some space balls with you all. Uh, the great joys of parody. And uh, should be a good time had by all. But until then, check out a movie with somebody and talk about what it means. Because that's what makes the movies worth watching. And until then... In my eyes, indisposed, in disguises no one knows, has the face lies the snake. Boiling heat, summer stench.
comics take place in the future? Because when the guys that made those comics sat down and said, oh, we have the rights to both of these, we're going to make this, they sat down and said, it would be really stupid to set this in the present. So they put it in space, which is where it makes sense. Don't put freaking Alien vs. Predator on Earth. That's a bad foundation to build your house on. It's going to fall over. Hey, Paul W.S. Anderson, thanks for that shitty AVP movie and stupid Event Horizon. Mortal Kombat's okay. Wow. Sorry, I got that out of my system. You feel better? I know it's not the first time I've ranted about those movies on this show. I just really like Alien vs. Predator a lot. I think it came up one of the last times we did a mashup type game. Mm, may have. Mm-hmm. I just... <laughs> nice. How do you get it so wrong? 